<clears throat> now, if you're a first-time guest, I especially want to welcome you. You've got a pretty good handle on what we're about. I know it's always a risk when you walk in. You're not sure what to expect. Uh, so uh, we just want you to be blessed today. Just relax. Uh, out of guest services on your way out, we've got a gift for you. Stop out there, and uh, they'll take good care of you. So thank you for being here. <clears throat> but I want to start off. I want to tell you about my parents. We're going to be in Isaiah 59. Get your Bibles ready. Um, my parents have been married for 62 years. It's, it's crazy. <clears throat> now, granted, part of the key to that is living. I, under, I understand that. Uh, but being able to stay married and work through difficulties for 62 years, they got married in 1959. I mean, it's crazy, right? And, um, and, I, and I, I've watched them through the years, and I, and I said, you know, Dad, I, I've never seen you guys fight. And I said... I said, how do you, how do you do it? And, uh, cause I've seen reasons to fight and I never, never seen anything or heard anything. And, and dad would never tell me. And I said, you know, dad, it's been 62 years. You know, I'm 58 years old. Don't you think you could let me in on the secret? He says, son, let me tell you. <clears throat> he said, on our honeymoon, we decided to go out to the Grand Canyon. And he said, you know, They've, they've got those mules that you can rent and ride down into the, into the bottom of the canyon. Anybody ever done that? Anybody ever ride the mule down into the canyon? Nobody? Wow. Well, you can. And uh, <clears throat> he said, we, we started down the canyon and the mule that mom was on stumbled. And mom got off that mule, looked him in the face and said, that's one. <laughs> And they went a little bit further down into the canyon, and he stumbled again. My mom got off the donkey and said, that's two. They went a little bit further, and the donkey did it again. Mom got off, pulled out a gun, and shot the donkey right there on the trail. Dad didn't say a word. And they got back in the car, and they're heading back to Missouri. And Dad started asking a few questions about what had happened back in the canyon. And my mom said, Bob, that's one. My parents really have been married 62 years. That's the truth. That's the truth of what I was going for there. Uh, I'm amazed at how people want to define God. And we all do it, I think, to some extent, because we've lived life and we're like, you, your view of God's not exactly my view of God. Uh, we're all a product of, of, of life and we're a product of our own hurts and our own joys. And, and maybe you've read the Bible, maybe you haven't read the Bible, but here's the deal. The Bible's real clear. There's only one God and he does have a name. He goes by all kinds of, of, of other titles. I am the God who provides. I am the God who is with you. I am the God who saves you. There's so many wonderful titles, but his name is actually Yahweh or Jehovah. The Jewish people wouldn't pronounce it. They still won't pronounce the name because the name is holy. It is the name that is above every name. But there is only one God, and you and I don't get to define his personality. You and I don't get to define who he is and what he does. And you do it all the time. You hear people do it all the time. Well, if there's a God, he wouldn't do this. If there's a God who's all loving, he wouldn't allow this. 
And you've heard me flip the script. I stopped asking God that a long time ago because I, I would ask God things like, why do you allow this kind of stuff to go on in Namibia? And as clear as day, I heard God say to me, I don't know, Joe, why do you let this kind of stuff go on in Namibia? So I learned to stop asking God those kinds of questions. Well, if he's an all-loving God, why would he send people to hell? Well, we covered that last week. No, an all-loving God does not send people to hell. You choose to not accept Jesus, and thereby you choose to go to hell. It's, it's a personal choice. It's not God's plan. Second Peter 3.9 says it's God's will that everyone be saved. So we know what God's heart is. So don't project things onto God. But as wonderful of a man as my dad is, the younger version of me met an angry dad on many occasions. If you meet my dad, you go, he's the sweetest man I've ever seen. He is until you do what he told you not to do. And then you will meet a very different Bob Pudding. All right? even, at, even at 89 years old, you will, you will see that there's still some fire burning in him because the integrity and truth are so deeply embedded in him that you just don't play games. If you say you're going to do it, you do it. It's, it's that simple and that straight. So God is a loving God, but he's also a just God. Don't miss that. Like, well, how could God wipe out everybody on the earth? Because their deeds and thoughts were evil all the time. You can read it in Genesis 6. It's not that God just arbitrarily said, you know, I think I'm going to take Fred out here. No, it was a very specific reason. So in Isaiah 59, it's really God's resume. Remember last week, if you were here, if you listened, uh, in chapter 58... God goes through a whole long list. He says, when you're fasting, there are certain things that you should be changing in your nature to become like God. And part of that is being pragmatic in helping other people, caring for other people, meeting other people's needs. We went through that, that whole list. So we'll pick it up in 59. If you'll stand with me out of respect for God's word. Good news first. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. But your impurities, your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. For your hands have strained with blood, your fingers with guilt, your lips have spoken lies and your tongue mutters wicked things. No one calls for justice. No one pleads his case with integrity. They rely on empty arguments and speak lies. They conceive trouble and give birth to evil. They hatch the eggs of vipers. Check out this analogy. They hatch the eggs of vipers and spin a spider's web. Whoever eats their eggs will die. And when one is broken, another adder is hatched. Their cobwebs are useless for clothing. They cannot cover themselves with what they make. Their deeds are evil deeds, and acts of violence are in their hands. Their feet rush into sin. They are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are evil thoughts. Ruin and destruction mark their ways. Now, we skip to verse 16. 
Because from seven on, it's just all the evil things that they're doing. But God saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm worked salvation for us. And his own righteousness sustained him. You can be seated. All right. So what does God's resume tell us? First of all, here's the good news. God's arms are long enough to reach you. All right. Some of you are watching online. Some of you are in Palm Bay. Some of you are in Deland. We're glad that you're watching. Some of you are in bad shape sitting here today. Some of you are in really bad shape that are sitting at home because of things you did last night. God's arms are long enough. God reaches us when we're at our worst. Romans 5, 8 said, when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If anybody ever tells you, well, you get your act together, then you can be a part of the church. You've missed the whole gospel. Jesus takes broken, messed up, sexually confused, hurting, slanderous, lying, murderous thieves. And he transforms those people by the blood of Jesus. He brings forgiveness and he's the one that cleans us up. It's, it's Jesus' business. But it's easy or easier to sit back and say, you know what, I've sinned too much, I've done too much, and I'm just not going to be able to be saved. You blame God. But what's Isaiah say? God's arms aren't too short. His arms are not too short to reach you no matter where you are or what you've done or what you've thought or what you're currently doing. Jesus died to rescue you from the mess you're currently in. Well, maybe, but his ears don't hear my prayers anymore. Well, that's not true either. It says God's ears are wide open that he hears our prayers. The problem is not God. What's the problem? The problem is man. And the problem in our culture today, which has been this way really since the beginning of time, you're just watching it in the modern Western culture today, man believes himself to be God, makes decisions as if he was God, and treats other people as if he's a God. And as a result of that, when you get people like that in your culture, then you no longer have that respect for the long arms and love of God. Can't you see the story of Jesus in this when he talks about, my arms are long enough? My arms are long enough to grab you on your worst day. I want to tell you one of the coolest things I've seen. Uh, last night, we had a, a man give his life to the Lord. And uh, I don't th think he would care. We were, we were sharing it free, openly last night. But he sits in the lobby every Saturday night. He's been there as long as I can remember. Never given his life to the Lord last night. Last night he was baptized. 85 years old. All right? 85. The place went crazy. The place went crazy. I mean, I, I just stuck my head back in there and I said, dude, you didn't have much time left. I'm glad you, I'm glad you wrapped this up. Because uh, I talk to him every week, but for whatever reason, God's timing was right. Listen, God's arms are there for each one of us. And some of you want to debate with me, you know, is there a God and, and how do you know this is all true? Let me tell you a story. Lee Strobel, some of you may know the name, a lot of you won't, but let me tell you his story. Lee was uh, a, a confirmed atheist. This is back in the late 70s. Uh, 
And he went to the University of Missouri because it's one of the best journalism schools in America, uh, graduated with honors and went to work for the Chicago Tribune. And he had a wonderful life of atheism going down. And his wife found Jesus. And it nearly destroyed their marriage. He didn't know what to do with it. He just knew that she was in a cult. He knew that it was phony. He knew this whole Jesus story was ridiculous. So as a writer, a journalist, he said, I am going to research this story, and once and for all, I'm going to put an end to this foolishness that all these people have been believing about Jesus. And he traveled the world, and he did the work. He now preaches in one of the largest churches in America, out in San Francisco. He's written... He's written dozens of books defending the scripture. Uh, you'll find books about, you know, how can I trust Christmas? How can I trust Easter? How can I trust the story of Jesus? Just a brilliant writer uh, because God had prepared him for that while he was an atheist. But here's what Lee wrote. He said, to continue in atheism, I would need to believe that nothing produces everything. Non-life produces life. Randomness produces fine-tuning. Chaos produces information. Unconsciousness produces consciousness. And non-reason produces reason. I simply don't have that much faith. Pretty powerful stuff, huh? Now let me tell you what Scripture says. Psalm 103, 11 and 12 says God's take go to the second part of it if you would it says God's taken our sin and thrown it as far as the east is from the west what an incredible verse you know what I don't get it I'll tell you if you don't know the story I'll explain it to you but I still don't get it because I I in my mind is not big enough I guess but when you get out of globe and you go north you go far enough north you go over the north pole what happens next you're going south. You go south far enough, you go across the South Pole, you start going north. But if you start going east, when will you start going west? Never. Not unless you turn around. You start going east, you're going to go east forever. You just keep going around the earth. Mentally, I cannot understand that. All right, I, I know it's true. I look at a globe and I know it's true. But 3,000 years ago, King David wrote that and he said, this is how great God's love is for you, that he takes our sin as far as the east is from the west because those two never meet. Isn't that good news? But there's a second side of God and that is his anger and his anger is real and his anger is justified. And you can you read through there and you'll see the first thing he goes after, he says, your hands are stained with innocent blood. Now, let me tell you something. Do not think for a minute that our culture invented abortion. Abortion has been around since the beginning of time. Child sacrifice has been around since the beginning of time. And there's not, not a doubt in my mind when he goes through this several times about innocent blood being on their hands that there is a reason that he's pointing that out. Because they were destroying their unborn children. They were sacrificing them to idols. They're throwing their babies into fires. What's the problem? Besides the problem. These were God's people. This was, we're not talking about the atheist. We're talking about God's people were doing this kind of stuff. And God said, I keep warning you and warning you and warning you. And Thomas Jefferson said it this way. He said, 
I'm very scared because I know God's judgment will only wait so long. It's very true. So God's angry because of sin. What separates us from God? Not God's arms. God's arms will just keep going. They'll find you wherever you are. It says in verse 3, we are separated from God because of our sin. Iniquities. It's just a worse word for sin. It's to make sure you understand that how ugly and horrible and filthy and nasty all of that stuff is that is there that the blood of Jesus is going to cover and pay for. But if you refuse to accept the forgiveness, then you will stand before God and you will give an account for yourself and you'll try to explain away all those horrible things you've done. And I never won an argument with dad in those regards. If God, if dad told me to do something, I learned to do it. You know how I learned to do it? Discipline. It only took a couple times and I'm like, you know what? I don't want to go through that again. So I think I'll listen to dad. Pretty good advice for us as Christians, don't you think? That there's the picture of what, what we're called to do. Let me tell you a story. You know, California... All right, I'm sorry, but overall, the group's crazy, right? I mean, I know there's Christians out there. There's a lot of Christians out there. But the, the culture out there is crazy. And they've done everything they can to ban Jesus, to ban the church. They tried to ban Christians from being in church, and they pretty well got away with it, except for a few few. People like John MacArthur, who challenged the state and stood up to them, ended up just, just winning a very large lawsuit, by the way, uh, from the state of California. But they've done everything they can to eliminate God, especially the Christian version of God, the living God, out of everything, out of their schools, out of their public life. But right now... In their curriculum in the California public school is a program where the children are taught to chant and pray to an Aztec god. There he is. His, his name is Quetzalcoatl, if you would like to look him up. You want to guess what his specialty was? Child sacrifice. In the curriculum... In your public school in California, your children are being taught to, to pray to a God who believes in child sacrifice. Now why? Because if you can get them to accept that, how much easier is it when you start talking about killing children right in front of you? So we have Christian parents fighting school boards in California standing up against this kind of craziness. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 31 says it is a terrible thing, a horrible thing, to fall into the hands of an angry God. Now, it's not multiple choice. Well, I'll take the happy God. No, it, that's, not, that's not it. Same God. There's one God. You get to choose whether you meet happy Bob Pudding or you meet angry Bob Pudding. And that's all determined on whether I listen to what he told me to do. Does that make sense? It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. But then we get to the, the victory part. 
So God finally comes to the conclusion. He said, there ought to be somebody here that could help out, but it's obviously not going to happen. He said, there's nobody to stand in, nobody to help. God said, so I will deliver my people with my own arm. Again, I can't help but see Jesus on a cross with his arms stretched out. Jesus saying, I'll do it myself because there's no way they're going to be able to do it on their own. Now, if you've not accepted Jesus, today's the day. You come right over here. There's a sign that says decision. People will be there to pray with you. If you're online, there's a button you can push that says I've decided. But I don't know what day I'm going to hit you. I know last night it was a very special day for, for a man. He said, my wife's been in heaven praying for this day. There's people in heaven and earth praying for you. Praying for you watching at home. And you're sitting around saying, well, I don't think God could love me. God's arms are long enough. And he specifically said, since there was no other way to do it, God said, I will step in myself and I will lead a parade. Let me show you this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, 14. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. All right, let me help you. When we were, when we were kids, it's, it's not such a big deal anymore, but the local parades were a big deal. County parade, 4th of July parade. I mean, we had parades for everything. And the band was always a part of the parade. And there's the fire truck and the guys on their John Deere tractors and people chucking candy out at the kids. The flags at the front of the parade. That's, that's America, guys. Those were special, special times. It still happens in, in some small communities. But that is the picture. It says that Jesus leads us, those who have accepted Jesus, in a triumphal procession. We're on our way to heaven, but he's leading us now. And the fragrance of Jesus should be so strong on us that everywhere we go, part of Jesus is spread out. By what we do, by what we say, by how we act, by how we treat other people, by the things we invest our money in. The fragrance of, fragrance of God goes with us. Let me finish with this. I was in Dallas a couple of weeks ago and a friend of mine was preaching the keynote message for a pastor's conference and <clears throat> didn't know his story. But he said, when I was, when I was about seven years old, grew up in Dallas... He said, there was a, a man in our community that drowned in a local lake. And he said, I'd never heard about drowning. I never heard about water. He said, I didn't grow up on a beach. And he said, I remember waking up in the middle of the night screaming, Mom, please don't let me drown. Please don't let me drown. Just all he'd heard was the fear. The fear that everybody had and what a tragic story this was. And he said, guys, I'm 70 years old now. And he said, you want to know what my biggest fear is? It's a fear of drowning. He said, I've been in counseling. I've been in therapy. I'm on antidepressants. I take anxiety medicine. And he said, it finally dawned on me as I became a preacher that God had allowed me to go through all of that to give me a message. And he said, I want you to ask your people, how many of you are drowning? Not, you're not afraid of drowning in water, but you're 
right now in some kind of a mess and you're hurting, you're struggling, and you're saying to someone, you're crying out to God, and you're saying, please don't let me drown. He said, I contend that most of the people that we run into at one time or another are thinking the very same thing. So I don't know where you're at, but I want you to know that God's arms, Jesus' arms, are long enough to save you right where you are. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the gift of life, a reminder that even in our sin, that you do want us to repent. You want us to change. But at the same time, we know that your arms are long enough to grab us where we are and you'll do the cleaning as we go. So God, the people that are watching online, people in the land, Palm Bay, here in Ormond, whatever you want to do, God, but I pray that those people that are crying out, please don't let me drown, the day would be the day that they would find that hope in you. In Jesus' name.